Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1250, air date June 29th, 2023. Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Today is our Thursday, 8 p.m. EST Town Hall. Uh, we're joined um, live today on our, we have, I can show you here on our Zoom Town Hall, we have quite a number of people, close to around 80 people. 70, 80 people uh, worldwide. Um, and we do these town halls for our Shiva for President campaign. As you can see, there's a number of people from all over the world um, who are joining us and from the United States, both. And the purpose of our town halls is to give people an opportunity to directly interact with me. But we decided we'd broadcast the first part of our town halls um, to everyone on social media. Um, if you want, those of you listening on social, if you want to join our town hall, you can go to VA, uh, sorry, Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, four, numeral four, president.com slash town hall. Kyle Rossing says he's also on Zoom. So um, every week we do a town hall. We take different topics. Today's topic is about governance. Um, but the topic on governance, interestingly enough, comes at a time when I think just today, the Supreme Court essentially struck down affirmative action. Um, and... Uh, in places like India, they had a thing where you allowed people of the lower caste to go to uh, schools. You created what are called um, a certain amount of seats, right? So if you had, um, you know, 100 people coming to a place like Harvard, you said at least, you know, four of those people had to be um, blacks, two of them had to be Native Americans, and one of them had to be Hispanic, so on. It was called, um, you know, affirmative action. So the Supreme Court just struck down affirmative action, in a sense. Basically, that's what they did. And as a result of that, um, you can see the, the, the response from the left, quote unquote, wing of the Democratic Party in the United States saying this is awful. It's a setback. We're reversing things, right? So I want to talk about that because I, as a person... I'm not only who's experienced real racism, okay? And we'll talk about what is racism. And many, and by the way, you don't have to be a person of color to experience racism. And we'll talk about that. What is racism? Um, but the reality is the punchline of this discussion is that the swarm, many of you may have seen my swarm video, the elites do not give a damn about ever solving divisions among race, religion. They actually profit from it. Let me repeat that again. Neither the left wing or the right wing want to ever solve any divisions among the working people. Okay. The slave masters want to perpetuate divisions. They profit from it. And to the extent they say, oh my God, it's so awful that, you know, this pe these people are being treated badly. They do it for one reason to actually advance the racial divisions or the religious divisions, et cetera, because they profit from it. So please Note that down. The only people who want to end division among working people are us. Okay? They don't want to end division because they profit from it. As long as you have the 0.1% ruling over a small set of people ruling over 8 billion people, they must have us fighting among each other. They must have us never figuring out who the real criminal is and how we are divided. Right. So that's a, that's a real principle you need to follow. Once that principle is clear, everything else, uh, uh, you know, comes out of that. So let's go back to in, in the affirmative action concept. 
was came out of um, the use of the uh, 14th Amendment, which was the Equal Protection Clause, right, which was passed about 100 years ago. And it basically said everyone has a right to equal protection under the law. And as a part of that, it extended itself into saying that at the university level in colleges, again, if 100 people apply for a, an educational position, like to be a student at, let's say, MIT or Harvard, that you have to have a certain number of people. So you allocate, let's say, 10 of those seats for people who are of color, okay? And it basically uh, denoted that those people should be able to get in and maybe you would even relax the qualifications, all right? So this was a concept. But let's really go at where this concept came from. This concept really came out of the Kennedy administration, okay? During the 1960s, which was saying that through affirmative action, which later, um, you know, was came, but it, uh, uh, from Lyndon Johnson, it was signed into law. But this really started with this notion that we, as the white man or the people in power, are going to solve this issue by making sure that we let a certain portion of people who may not be quote unquote qualified also come into uh, certain positions. Okay. And this over time led into something, um, what we call um, this fight where people of other races said, wait a minute, that person got into Harvard, even though they were not qualified and I was being discriminated against. I was, I'm a white person or I'm a, um, you know, Italian person or I'm a, um, you know, Asian person. Got it? So, um, so there's been this constant struggle and it actually created more division among black and white people. But let's put all of this in a very systems concept, because one of the things that we like to do is to look beyond left and right and see things as they truly are. You know, those of you um, who are new to the uh, our movement and what we're doing is everything I do is based on a systems basis. So I created an entire program called Truth, Freedom, Health. Go to truthfreedomhealth.com and you can understand more about that. But fundamentally, when you take a systems approach, you can really come into what the real problems are, okay? So we can have a whole discussion about the sexism and feminist movement, but today we're gonna to talk about um, this issue of race. All right, so let's go back to the first principle. There's a finite set of people who historically have ruled over masses of people. Again, if you go look at the swarm video, I go into detail explaining what the swarm is and how a small set of people are able to control today 8 billion people. It's a wonderful video. You can see it in 15 minutes, but it condenses for me about 50, 60 years worth of you know, my knowledge and training. So I, I hope all of you see that video. It's gone viral in spite of the shadow banning. And by the way, those of you listening on social media, um, Elon Musk, is not a fighter for free speech. He shadow bans me. So does uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but the way you can help is, you know, like this video, no, you know, hit the notification, share it, get it out there to as many people as you want, but follow us, do all those good things. It's a way to decentralize and overcome the shadow banning. All right. So let's talk about this issue with race. So segregation of people, division of people, has been a wonderful way for those in power to maintain power. When the colonists in the United States first came to America or the people from Europe came here and they themselves were building their power base in the United States, they actively, and this has been well written about, 
they made sure that the black slaves in the United States at that time um, saw the Native Americans, the indigenous people as their enemies. And they made sure the white colonists who were working for the elites who came here saw the blacks and the Native Americans as enemies. And they used to put all these policies to make sure the white colonists um, fought against the blacks, hated the Native Americans. They made sure the blacks hated the white colonists and the blacks hated the Native Americans and the Native Americans hated the blacks and the white colonists. This was perpetuated. It's a policy called divide and rule. Remember these people who came to America originally came from Britain and the British empire prospered from this divide and rule policy. Um, I know this because I was born in India and India was a product of divide and rule, okay? Um, it was a product of British colonialism. So what is divide and rule? Well, you can pretty much go in and divide people on anything. Oh, he likes ice. He likes vanilla ice cream. He likes chocolate ice cream. The people who cho like chocolate ice cream are horrible people. We should subjugate them, okay? Or they're lesser people. When my parents decided to come to the United States, my mom said, you know, in India, we can get discriminated nine different ways. But in America, maybe three. Okay, what does she mean? Well, India is such an old country. You could divide people by South Indians and North Indians. The North Indians were taught the South Indians are smart, but they're not sophisticated. The South Indians are taught the North Indians are all flashy and stylish, but they have no brains. That's an example. Okay, um, you could divide people by race. Okay, racially where they came from, right? Because India is actually a believe it or not, it's a quite an interesting melting pot. Your people from um, you know, parts of, you know, Mongolia, you people from Ethiopia, it, it's pr probably one of the biggest melting pots. You could manipulate people by what language they spoke. You could manipulate people by their caste, by their religion, whether they're man or female, by the shade of their skin. The number one selling consumer product in India is skin whitening products, more than even Coke and Pepsi, believe it or not. Okay. So in India, you can get discriminated all these ways. So my mom would say, in America, okay, you have a better shot. You're going to have to work harder than your white counterpart, but you're only going to get discriminated by race and maybe religion, okay? So this concept of dividing people originated in the British Empire. So the conquerors, when they used to go to a country, so when they went into Africa, Africa had all these amazing kingdoms, which were separated by tribes, which actually had very clear borders. All right. And obviously the kings had particular border disputes, but it wasn't like massive slaughter and slaughter people. When the British came, they drew very random lines and they created these nation states. And when they created those nation states, these kings would start fighting against each other. And it was wonderful for Britain because you could go rape and pillage Africa, minerals, water, right? Gold, slaves, etc. Same with India. So as long as you have the people that you're conquering sub fighting among themselves, you could exploit their wealth, their minerals, their resources. All right. So now you go to the United States. So when obviously um, the, the slave system was actually a very, very powerful um, system that started in Africa, by the way, we should recognize, right. Uh, there was slavery in Africa. Um, and, and so if we want to start talking about reparations, we should start actually looking at the African um, kings who actually perpetuated slavery, all right? But when slavery was instituted in the United States, it obviously created some serious inequities. So um, by the mid-1800s in the United States, 
there were some very, very powerful movements. And people started arguing how you're going to solve racism in the United States. And when we're talking about racism, we're talking about black people of a certain skin color being uh, mistreated and abused by another skin color people called white people. That's what they that's what we were talking about at the time. So the answers were various people. And I'll give you some examples. Some people said, okay, the people of the Africans, the black Africans or the slaves in America should move back to Africa. I don't know if you know this. Marcus Garvey was leading this movement. And so the solution to racism, he was saying, was we must separate. We must go back to our homeland. Does that make sense? So that was called a cultural nationalist movement. So I'm giving you a little bit of political theory. Cultural nationalism says, you know, we used to have an amazing culture in Africa looking back and the white man screwed us. Let's go back to Africa. The black Muslim movement led by Elijah Muhammad was part of that movement, okay? Which was let's go back to our homeland or let's just create black only businesses, all right? Very similar to the Zionist movement that took place in Europe. Okay, so you, Jews were in Europe for 300 years. Um, there were uh, sectors of them which were com complaining about discrimination. And people like Theodore Herzl said, let's leave Europe and let's go to our homeland. Their homeland originally was Uganda, by the way. We can talk more about that, okay? The British said, no, 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 Uganda is not your place. You're going to go over to this place called Palestine. But the concept of cultural nationalism was the way you fight racism is you move back to your homeland. Got it? There were other people who were saying, let's just assimilate. Let's assimilate. Let's forget. Let bygones be bygones. Let's assimilate. And we just have to deal with it. Okay? And there were other people who were saying, um, you know what? The plight of the black African slave is not that different than the white working class. All right? And what they were saying was that ultimately this is a class issue that a small set of people or a caste issue manipulating all of us and black people who are minorities should unite with their white working class uh, comrades, partners, colleagues, and we should really point the real enemy are a small set of people who own massive amounts of wealth, okay? So there were various trends. Does this make sense? It wasn't like everyone said this was the only way to fight racism. So... By the And by the way, if you go back to the 1900s, when there were a lot of workers' movements, you would see blacks and whites fighting together shoulder to shoulder. Like in Times Square, there's huge pictures of when the workers' movements are starting black and white people. So this was seriously a concern to those in power. If black people and white people came together to fight for wages, to fight for the common things, this would uh, be a significant concern. So those movements were coming up. In the 1950s with the McCarthy era, they started splitting those movements, okay? They didn't want black people and white people fighting for fundamental civil rights. So by the 1960s, when these movements were coming up and they were very, very powerful movements led by bottoms up people, okay? Uh, white people and black people were involved in civil rights movements. And one of the fundamental issues that the civil rights movements really asked for was infrastructure in the inner cities, all right? Infrastructure. When you take our course and when you go through the Truth for Health program, we talk about th there are nine principles in system science. Three fundamental principles are transport, conversion, and structure. 
one of the fundamental principles, if you see, I have this um, cup of water here. There's three principles here in this cup of water. The cup itself is what's called the infrastructure that holds the water. If I stir the water, that's called the transport principle. Um, Michelle heated it. That's a conversion principle, which took it from cold to hot water. Okay, there's three principles. But without this structure, I can't even hold water. If you're making something, if you're making a pot of food, oatmeal, for example, you have to heat it. That's a conversion principle. The pot is the infrastructure and stirring it is a transport. Well, anyway, transport, conversion and structure exists in everything. If you take a, 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 a an economy, you have to have infrastructure to succeed. Your body needs infrastructure, the, the skeletal structure and the skin and the bones and all those things. Infrastructure is essential to survival of any system. So there were many, many people in the civil rights movements who were demanding infrastructure. They said, you know what? We need clean water. We need schools. Um, and, and this was not only for, by the way, uh, blacks. It was also for, in Appalachia, poor whites. Okay. Remember, most of the people who get screwed in the United States were actually poor whites. Okay. Because poor whites were used as badly as blacks, but blacks had a history of the, of the slavery that took place. So as these civil rights movements grew and they got very, very strong, people like Malcolm X was a true bottoms up leader. Malcolm X initially came from thinking you had to kill all white people, that white people were devils. Okay. And he came from that cultural nationalist movement of Elijah Muhammad. And then he went through a transformation because when he went to Mecca, he's even from a religious perspective, he said, you know, it's not only black people or Muslims. It was like blacks and whites and all different colors. So when he came back to America, I realized that the entire concept of cultural nationalism wasn't going to get anywhere, that you had to unite blacks and whites. He gave a very famous speech two weeks before he was assassinated. And he said, I believe there will ultimately be a clash between the oppressed and those who do the oppressing, but it will not be based on, but it will not be based on the color of the skin. Two weeks after that speech is when he was executed, okay? By the black Muslims collaborating with the CIA and the government of, you know, at that time you have to understand who was um, monitoring all of these civil rights movements. Does anyone know? Who was monitoring the civil rights movements in the 60s? Does anyone know? Who was monitoring them? I can, yeah, I can, I can put it in the chat. Who was doing that? Nobody knows, huh? Fascinating. All right, I'll tell you who was doing that. It was Robert F. Kennedy, okay, who was Attorney General. Robert, the senior Kennedy. Robert Kennedy was bugging every civil rights leader. He was surveillancing them, and he was watching what they were doing, okay. So it was the Kennedys who were, you know, by the way, the Kennedys live in Hyannisport. They have, um, you know, uh, they don't want any riffraff. And they were monitoring the civil rights movement. And the people that they really had problems with were people who were independent of the Democrats and Republicans and who were building these bottoms up movements. Um, and they had a problem with Malcolm X because Malcolm X had broken with the left and the right. It was the Kennedys who anointed Martin Luther King to be the leader of the black people. Let me repeat that again. It was the Kennedys who anointed Martin Luther King to be the leader of the civil rights movement. 
you have to ask yourself, how does Martin Luther King get a huge stage in the mall? How does he get to give a speech called I Have a Dream and all these people get corralled in? You ever think about that? How many of you have ever run a demonstration? How many of you try to do a protest? You have to go get a permit sometimes. You have to organize people. You have to let the news media know. Many real protests never get coverage by the news media. How did that movement get covered, okay? Um, it got covered because the Robert F. Kennedy, the Kennedys with the Southern National Christian Conference, which is one of these groups that was part of the civil rights movement, which was really not about infrastructure, collaborated with the Kennedys. Martin Luther King called the entire March on Washington a circus. And so they give uh, Martin Luther King this enormous um, uh, access and he gives a speech called I Have a Dream. And a lot of black people in that audience were saying, what do you mean a dream? I need my infrastructure taken care of. They didn't give a fuck about a dream. So he gets made into a hero of black people anointed by the Kennedys. And affirmative action was one of the policies that came out of that. So what did affirmative action say? The way we're going to solve the racism issue is we're going to make sure if 100 people get accepted to Harvard that, you know, 80 are white and, 20, you know, 10 are black, five are Hispanic, five are Native Americans. OK, like we're going to create these quotas. Now. Let me be very clear on this. That was a Band-Aid solution, but nonetheless, you have to recognize that that Band-Aid would not they people would not have even gotten the Band-Aid if there was not um, the massive protests that were taking place. So what they did was the Kennedys used the anger of the real righteous bottoms up movement to strike a deal. And they said, OK, the way we're going to solve racism is we're going to give, you know, you black people a certain number of, of positions <coughs> in places of power. OK. So that's what they did. It was a deal. It was a Band-Aid. And what ended up happening was Martin Luther King gets promoted as this hero. So when I came to MIT in 1981, um, by 1970s, affirmative action was being promoted. And um, places like MIT would allow a certain number of blacks and Hispanics into MIT. And a lot of them were from the inner cities. A lot of them were my very good friends. But none of them were prepared ever to succeed at MIT. Why? Because to succeed at MIT, you needed to know calculus. You needed to have certain number of hours. You know, you needed to have a very solid um, base. So many students who would come to MIT and Harvard from the inner city communities, even though there were black faces, within one semester, they were flunking out. And then the whites on the Republican side or the right wing would say, see, these people are stupid. I told you so. They could never make it here. So at MIT, for example, in um, uh, the late uh, 60s, early 70s, there was a major, uh, about the first uh, 20 people were allowed into MIT stage your protest. They said, you know, you allowed us into MIT using affirmative action, but we know we're never going to be successful because we never got our public school systems didn't teach us the fundamentals that you need to succeed at MIT. All right. So those people demanded that MIT set up tutoring programs, that MIT as an institution was forced to create the infrastructure that should have existed bottoms up in those inner cities. And some of those blacks at Harvard or MIT succeeded, quote unquote, succeeded like Barack Obama or 
some people. And then the elites would say, see, affirmative action work. We have a Barack Obama. We have a president, a black man who's in the White House. You, you too can succeed. So what they did was affirmative action created a pencil thin strata of black bourgeois. Let me repeat that again. It created a pencil thin strata of black bourgeois and those black bourgeois joined the swarm anyway. Jay joined the elites also. And so the elites over the last 20 years have become a multiracial global community of some black faces, some brown faces, et cetera. But the fundamental issues of racism never got solved, which was a segregation and the lack of infrastructure in the inner cities for poor blacks and poor whites. That's the fundamental issue that never got solved, okay? And those issues um, did not get solved because those in power did not want to address those issues because they needed to perpetuate the division among people, okay? That's what they wanted to do. So as a part of that, what ended up happening was that the racism continued, and even till this day. So today the Supreme Court strikes down affirmative action. So you have one portion of the working class, so whites are, oh yeah, this is great. This is great, we struck down that affirmative action because I was being mistreated. And then you have the other set of the working class, the liberal elites are saying this is horrible, right? But what you've done is you've created a division. And at, at a fundamental level, we still have not solved this fundamental issue of infrastructure, okay? That's a real issue. And more deeper, they do not want poor blacks and poor whites uniting. So let me give you this slide here. Let me show this to you. I think I'm gonna have to do it on both platforms. Let me go to um, Zoom first and share this slide with you. And you will see that in, um, so this article, so remember, Boston is known for the Kennedys. Um, in There's a part of Boston where all the elites live. And if I were to tell you today, you would think with all the Kennedys and their claim they fight for racism and the poor blacks, you would think that there should be relative integration in Boston. Would you not say so? Boston should be the hallmark of the least amount of racism, right? Because the Kennedys supposedly fought for everyone, all right? Well, let's look at the reality after so much affirmative action. What is the reality in Boston, right? There is there real equality. Well, let's look at this. This came out about five years ago, done by the Federal Reserve. So African-Americans have a met median net worth of $8, $8. And this was done by the Federal Reserve, okay? In 2017, and much has not changed. And in fact, let me, let me also share this with our StreamYard audience. So in a place where Booby Kennedy and, and Robert F. Kennedy and all the Kennedys supposedly helped the black man, um, look at the results. The average net worth of a white person in Boston is $247,000. The average net worth of a black person is $8. $8. So if that is a measure of segregation at the, the worst level you can imagine, that's what it is. And I've talked about this for many, many years. But when Robert Kennedy puts out a tweet saying, oh my God, this is a horrible, you know, we're, we violated, we, we must restore affirmative action. Well, he's part of the racism. The Kennedys are one of the biggest racists in the world because they profited from racial division, saying they're gonna help the black man when look at in Boston, okay? What is net worth? What does net worth mean? Net worth means if you take everyone's, your so, total sum of the assets, all the cash you have in the bank, all the homes you may own or your cars, your jewelry, and then you subtract it 
from all the liabilities, the loans, the the uh, the uh, visa, the credit cards. So it turns out the average net worth of a black person in Boston is eight bucks. But Joe Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and all their net worths, people like that, their average is you know north of two hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. So in the midst of all of this affirmative action, the data is right in front of you. Affirmative action and the foundations of affirmative action have not solved the fundamental economic equality. Why? Because you didn't create enough people who could actually, right, get educated, pull themselves up. So the right wing says, oh, you can pull themselves up from your, on your own boot, boots, right? Pull yourself up from your own bootstraps, right? Obama did it, so you should be able to do it, all right? Um, so um, that's what has fundamentally happened, okay? What's fundamentally happened is that there's this fundamental issue with the the affirmative action did not purposely address this this real issue um, with the issue of um, infrastructure that needed to be done, right? So that's what never happened. So that's what's happened. So um, um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about is. Today, the Supreme Court struck that down. Why did they strike it down? Well, remember, the Supreme Court doesn't care about solving racism either, and nor does the left wing. They struck it down because um, if you look at it from a swarm perspective, the swarm must perpetuate a division among everyday people. So what you're going to see now is uh, a certain section of the white working class all excited. Oh, my gosh, this is great. We struck down affirmative action. Another section of the uh, liberal working class saying this is horrible, but neither wings of the establishment want to address infrastructure in the inner cities, and it's still not addressed. So, out of the not eight trillion dollars that got printed over the last during COVID, very little went to infrastructure in the inner cities. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys. But when you take when you understand systems perspective, what you will understand is from a deep systems perspective what you fundamentally realize is that those in power do not want to under, uh, address the real systemic issues, which is to solve infrastructure, okay? And they do not want a bottoms-up movement addressing that. So when Booby effing Kennedy, one of my opponents running, and he claims, by the way, this guy's claiming he's for everything. One day he says he's for against vaccines, now he's for vaccines. One day he's um, um, uh, for immigration, Right then, he's against uh, uh, border walls. His view, and he has a his cleverness, is thinking you speak to all sides and you will build a big tent, and it'll be one big rainbow, and that's what he's doing. But it never wants to address the fundamental issues, okay? Which is infrastructure, because people like Booby Effing Kennedy or people like Elizabeth Warren, who was one of my other opponents, who's also oh my god, this is horrible what the Supreme Court did. Elizabeth Warren used race to get every position she had. She claimed she was a Native American Indian. That's how she got into Harvard, okay? So what I wanna you know, conclude with as we sign off on StreamYard is that our movement for truth, freedom, and health, when you understand these principles of system science, you can start recognizing that the real issue among the nine principles of systems when it comes to solving real racism as we're talking about in the modern world is infrastructure. And the other thing is, those in power will find a hundred million ways to segregate people. Blondes are like this, right? 
Chinese people all must do karate. Indians must all tilt their head left to right and, and are fine with being beaten up and are into nonviolence or humble folks. You can beat the hell out of them. White people are all rednecks. Whatever it is, they will divide us. So one of the most important things to recognize is that those in power, left or right, do have no interest in solving racism. So an affirmative action relative to our discussion today was never a solution. It was a big Band-Aid. And the establishment loves to put Band-Aids on top of Band-Aids upon Band-Aids because when you put Band-Aids, you split us people fighting against each other. So that's what I wanted to share with you. So before everyone on the town hall stay on, I'm going to come and we introduce new people. But the fundamental issue is that we need to build a bottoms up movement that is founded on the knowledge of systems. And my run for Shiva for president is the only campaign right now and will ever exist that is saying that we need to build a bottoms up movement. And it's time that we have one of us because one of them does not want to solve racism. One of them does not want to solve any of the issues in health or science, et cetera, because they perpetuate it. They perpetuate racism and they solve and they, and they, and they exist by racism. So watch what's going to happen over the next two weeks because you're going to learn a lot. But I hope you share this video wide and broadly, um, but it will help you really give you a deeper assessment of what is really going on with racism and how we really end it. So everyone stay in the town hall. I'm going to sign off on um, Twitter, Facebook. So be well, everyone. We're going to be continuing our uh, town hall Q&A. Thank you. Be well.